0: To Romans in chapter 15, we are nearing the end of this study, my friends, but the application is rich that Paul presents for us in light of all of the truth that we have come across in this study. Father, even now, God, we pray that you would open our hearts and our ears, that you would enable us, God, to give the attention to your word that you deserve. Give us understanding, we pray, in Jesus' name, amen. When we had little kids, one of the patterns, perhaps like you when you had children, (laughs) was to close all of the doors, the bedrooms, and lock up the cabinets, and put gates in front of steps. And, I mean, there were boundaries everywhere. We even included pillows around corners and All sorts of things. And we do this. Why? Because we were angry with our children? No, my friends. We were looking out for them. They were young. They didn't know. They weren't able to balance as you and I. And so we set up boundaries. But as our children got older, you know, all those boundaries began to disappear. Because with maturity comes freedom. Man, that's good. And it's true. And it's true also, my friends, in the life of a believer. With maturity, with maturity comes freedom. Well, the inverse is also true, my friends. With immaturity, there is a lack of freedom. And Paul has been talking about this relationship between the weak and the strong. This has nothing to do with weightlifting. The weak are those who have developed rules and boundaries in their life because of their fears. Believing that some things are wrong even where the scripture does not condemn. You know what I'm talking about. You know, uh, there was a day when it meant going to church. If there was a woman that came into church with slacks on. Remember those days? Oh, come Feel free to groan throughout the, you know, there were rules that were put in place. And they were activated in such a, that the scripture says nothing about these things. Paul refers to those people who establish these things and say, no, we can't do that, we can't do that, as the weaker brother. And so there is an immaturity about them. And the question is this, what about the stronger brother? What does he do about that? Tell him to stop it and go home? Well, that doesn't sound like Jesus, does it? No, that's why we have chapters. (laughs) There's a lot more to this, my friends, than we realize. And so Paul addresses this topic in order to direct us how the strong ought to live with the weak, Very important stuff here, my friends. You know, like living with children. You walk differently. You you lay things out differently. You don't set things that uh, you've just ironed low. You set them up high. There's a practice of living as the strong that you do in light of the weak. And starting here in verses 1 to 2, we have a number of instructions. A number of instructions. Three, to be exact that if you consider yourself the strong here this morning, the mature, this is how you ought to be living in light of the weak. First and foremost, you must look out for the weak. You got to look out for them. Because the weak can get in trouble. You know, I don't know about you, but when our kids got walking, you know, we bought them leashes. and that. No, we didn't do that. That's silly. But you know what we want? We held their hands And we walked carefully. And that's what you and I as the strong should do when it comes to the weak. Is to look out for them. Not as an annoyance. But in love. And looking out for their welfare. You know the whole idea of loving one another. This is where all of this, everything in the Bible comes down to this. Love the Lord your God. And the people around you, even the ones That are annoying, even the ones that should know better by now, even the whatever you put on the list, my friends. What about those enemies? I think Jesus said we ought to love them too, just the way he loved us. And so we must look out for the weak. We're to bear their weaknesses, verse 1. We who are strong, notice the verbiage here, we have an obligation to bear with the failings of the weak. And not to please ourselves. And there it is. We are supposed to look out for one another, not just ourselves. Now, pleasing others is an unusual uh, phrase there. And what it means is um, a determined adjustment of our lifestyle. In other words, it is an intentional way of living in light of the circumstance. I need to look out for this young believer, this immature believer. I need to be careful in my words, in my conversation, lest I harm them. We don't want to harm the weak. And so it is, a, it is an intentional adjustment in life. So we've got to look out for them. We're to, we are to bear their weaknesses. And notice this is an obligation. This is an expectation of the mature believer that he look out for the young. I mean, in our own culture, we expect parents to take care of their children. We write laws about them. You must look out for them. They tell us all the reasons how. (laughs) But my friends, you got to look out. But notice this, my friends, not only are we to bear with their weaknesses, we're also supposed to build them up. In other words, don't leave them there. Walk with them and encourage them and build them up. Verse 2, let each of us please his neighbor for his good to build him up. And there it is. There is the person of mature, uh, uh, the actions of the mature to build up the weak. Well, I just realized that some of you may be, who's that in family Bible church? How about this? How about this? Practice this wherever you go and make it a habit to look out for other people. Bearing it. Yesterday Melanie and I were out shopping, picking up some supplies, and um, we were in one of these large malls, and we were about to turn into the parking lot, and there was this long lines of cars coming the other way, and you know what a gentleman did? He stopped right before there so people could turn in. You ever do that? Instead of looking, oh, look at all these cars, there's traffic I'll never get. They took his he took his eyes off himself and looked out for somebody else. I'm going to make their world a little better here today. That is such a great habit. My friend, that ought to be the mark of a follower of Christ. Is that we're not just looking out for number one. We're looking out for everyone. Open your eyes. Make that the habit of your life. And I'll tell you what, the rest of this stuff, easy peasy, easy peasy. So we're supposed to build up one another, help one another grow. There's a conversation going on and someone isn't getting it. Take them aside later and say, hey, I want to talk to you about that. You know, there seems to be a misunderstanding about this, and I want to help you with that. Are you willing to step up and stand up and help someone up? ought to be my friends I think that's what it means to be a Christ follower and so my friends we must learn to build them up And instruction number two is this we must learn to surrender ourselves for the good of others more of the same thing if you ask me saying no to me in order to say no or yes to you that's what we're talking about here And this is exactly what Christ did. And here's some motivating examples, my friends, of why we ought to say no to ourselves and yes to someone else. First and foremost, because Christ did it. Look at verse 3. For Christ did not please himself, but as it is written, the reproaches of those who reproached you fell on me wow, you know, it's hard to find something that, you know, we could disagree on that we couldn't look to Jesus for the answer. I mean, consider this. You know, we talk about loving our enemies. How about this? People who rebelled against God for since the very beginning, it's all of us. You have a whole history in your life just as I do, as ignoring what we know to be true about God and doing it our way. And yet... While we were yet sinning, Christ died for us. He took the penalty that you and I deserve. He died in our place as a substitute. Follow that example. That's what it means to love your enemies, my friend. Love is a sacrificial investment in someone else. This world loves peaches and cookies and, and, and we think love simply means some sort of affinity or affection, but love is an action and it's a self-sacrificing action. And So the example of Christ is that he humbled himself and took on the reproaches of those who had reproached the Lord and look at the uh, teaching of the old testament as an example paul lays out here you ought to be motivated by the example of christ and the teaching of the old testament for whatever was written in former days was written for our instruction that through endurance and through the encouragement of the scriptures we might have hope and so you say what the scriptures what what are we talking about here Whatever's written in former days, he's talking about the Old Testament. New Testament still being written while Paul's writing this. He says all of this is written for our encouragement and for our instruction. And in how we ought to live. And there are people from Old Testament you remember from Sunday school class, for heaven's sakes. Or maybe you've been reading it lately. And they just stand out to you as an as a example for you. One of the powerful uh, personalities that, that I'm drawn to is, is Joseph. Everybody loves Joseph, you know. Uh, beautiful clothing. But I'm talking about this, where he is faced with this woman coming on to him, Potiphar's wife. And he looks at her. And said, how could I possibly do that? And sin against my God? Oh, that I might always have that attitude. I would never speak that way and sin against my God. I would never take that action. There's something powerful about that. My namesake, yeah, pretty heroic. Yeah, I remember he beat that giant, but he also slept with that woman. Yeah. That's a warning to me as well if this godly man that God used to write so much of the scriptures could fall, woe unto me. Be warned. It is written, my friends, for our instruction, but it's also written for our encouragement. For though not perfect, he was a child of God. God redeemed him. And so we have the example of Christ as a motivation to surrender ourselves, to put ourselves aside in order to. It is simply the gentlemanly thing that we teach in our country. No, please go first. I got to the door first. I win. I get to open it and let others in before. It is a habit I try to practice, not because of look at me, look at me, but because it trains my character. We need to build things in our lives like this, my friends. We need to build it in. Practice it whenever you can. Every opportunity you get. That's how we become more like Jesus. And so, my friends, we have the example of Christ, the teaching of the Old Testament, but here it is. And, and hold on to your socks on this one, my friends. Because this is the ultimate, the ultimate purpose of God is that we live this way. That we live in unity. Consider this. From the very beginning of creation, God put the man in the garden and out of his rib he formed a woman. And and you know what he anticipated? What his expectation was? That they live together in unity. Taken from the rib one flesh that was the purpose everything is perfect and then enters sin and it ruins it it destroys it and how does God fix it a thing called the cross I guess where he sent his son to die for our sin to rise from the dead and to offer to when you put your faith in Jesus Christ, he declares you righteous. And the ultimate of history and all of your dreams about what heaven might be like, it is the restoration, my friends, of what was lost. Unity. That's the new heaven and the new earth that we read about in the book of the revelation of Jesus Christ. It's the purpose it is the reason for which we were created to be one with one another and to be one with him. And I'll tell you what, if, if, if eternity sounds good to you, you better start practicing, you know, so you fit in. Learning to be one with one another. Loving one another. Looking out for one another. And so here it is, the ultimate purpose of God. Look at verse uh, 5. May the God of endurance and encouragement grant you to live in such harmony with one another in accord with Christ Jesus. That together you may with one voice glorify the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. And so living in unity brings glory to God. It shouts it to God. How wonderful is that? Do you not want to? Do you not long to bring glory to God somehow in your life? This is one way to do it. Living in harmony results in God's glory. The ultimate purpose is living in harmony for God's glory. Look at verse 7. Being a welcoming body. Therefore... In light of all of this, ever see a therefore? Ask what it's there for. It is a transition from everything that has been taught and in light of all of that truth, this is how you want to live. Therefore, welcome one another as Christ has welcomed you and there is the standard. There is a poster. I can see it in my mind. Maybe you can see it as well. And it is just... Uh, image of the back, maybe of Jesus, and that's what it's supposed to indicate because we don't really know what he looks like, do we? Um, (laughs) And he's just hugging somebody. That is what we're talking about. That is the kind of welcome. There's not a lot of people probably you hug in your life, I'm guessing. You know, there are some people that you just can't help squeeze you just love them you adore you just are grateful for them and and think about how Christ will welcome you into eternity that is how you welcome one another you may have opinions about the car they drive or the bible they read or the way they whatever but that is the standard of a Christ follower welcoming man what a picture what a picture living in harmony with for god's glory becoming a welcoming body and look at verse eight the people of god made up of jews and gentiles talking about unifying these people have been enemies since the beginning of israel a land a spit of land surrounded by enemies from the very beginning my friends And yet, from the beginning, God had told them, (laughs) gonna bring in those Gentiles. I know, you don't like the way they live, they're sinners, just like you. Look at this, for I tell you, for I tell you that Christ became a servant to the circumcised, that would be a reference to Israel, to show God's truthfulness in order to conform confirm the promises given to the patriarchs. Going back to Abraham and Isaac and Jacob, Joseph, promises made, promises kept. And in order that the Gentiles might glorify God for his mercy, as it is written, therefore, I will praise you among the Gentiles and sing to your name. And again, it is said, rejoice, O Gentiles, with the... With his people. Rejoice, O Gentiles, with his people. Who's his people? Israel. Wait a minute. The Gentiles are going to become a part of the people of God? Take a look around, friends. We're all Gentiles here, are we not? As it is written, therefore I will praise you among the Gentiles and sing your name, verse 10. And again it is said, rejoice, O Gentiles, with his people. And again, praise the Lord, O you Gentiles, and let all the peoples extol him. And again Isaiah says, the root of Jesse will come and even he who rises to rule the Gentiles in him. Will the Gentiles hope? Talking about Jesus. The whole purpose and plan of God is to bring it all together. That ought to be pretty pretty big motivation of ours, my friends, to live well with one another. And notice here in verse 13, a people of hope. And may the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace. In believing so that by the power of the Holy Spirit, you may abound in hope. None of this stuff really looks that likely in our experience, does it? Unity? I mean, sin divides and division is everywhere. But God is bringing us together. Well, third and final instruction here, my friends, is this. We must unify. If we will ever reach the lost. The fact is this. Believers unified in order to win you to faith in Jesus Christ. People worked together. And that's the picture that we have here at the end of chapter 15. Starting in verses 14. We get this sneak peek. It feels like the end of the book. In light of Paul's other, he talks about his plans and then he ends it up. But we're not the end yet. Notice here, he talks about his philosophy of ministry. He says, I myself am satisfied about you, my brothers. That's inconvenient. But here we are. That you yourselves are full of goodness, filled with knowledge and able to instruct one another. But on some point I have written to you very boldly, by way of reminder because of the grace given me by God. To be a minister of Christ Jesus to the Gentiles in the priestly service of the gospel of God so that the offering of the Gentiles may be acceptable, sanctified by the Holy Spirit. And so part of his philosophy of ministry, in other words, is how he does it is he does it of grounded in grace by the work of the Holy Spirit of God. That is how he functions. Secondly, it is a ministry centered on the gospel. Verse 17, in Christ Jesus then, I have reason to be proud of my work for God, for I will not venture to speak of anything except what Christ has accomplished through me, To bring the Gentiles to obedience, both by word and deed. And by the power of signs and wonders, by the power of the Spirit of God. So that from Jerusalem and all the way around to Elycrium, I have have fulfilled the ministry of the gospel of Christ. He's proud of these people. You know why? Because the Lord has done a wondrous thing. You will notice here that he doesn't say, look at me, look at what I have done. All of the credit goes to God. All of these powers, all of these abilities, the ability to do all of these things, given to me by the power of the Spirit of God, giving credit to whom credit is due. It is a dangerous thing, my friend. That the Spirit of God do something in your life and you take credit for it. Matter of fact, in Acts chapter 12, there was a little uh, account about Herod who did such a thing. In Acts 12, in verse 21 to 23, we read, On an appointed day, Herod put on his royal robes and took a seat on the throne and delivered an oration to them. And the people were shouting, the voice of a God and not of a man. And guess what? God heard it. And immediately, an angel of the Lord struck him down because he did not give God the glory. And he was eaten by worms and breathed his last. I think the word here we're looking for is ick. Yeah. Yeah. And so here's a man who refused to give glory to God, but not Paul. Paul gives God the glory for all of his ministry. And you'll notice something else unique about Paul and his ministry in verses 20 to 22. He says, And thus I make it my ambition to preach the gospel not where Christ has already been named, lest I build on someone else's foundation. But as it is written, those who have never been told of him will see, and those whom have never heard will understand. And this is the reason why I have so often been hindered from coming to you. And so Paul was all about breaking new ground, not going where someone else has preached, but being the first in an area, all part of his philosophy of ministry. But then here in verses 23 to 29, he lays out his future plans. And this is where unity particularly shines in all of this. Take a look with me, if you will, verse 23. But now, since I no longer have any room for work in these regions, and since I have longed for many years to come to you, I hope to see you in passing as I go to Spain and to be helped in my journey. Now here's one of the wonders of this passage here in this, this ministry of Paul. Is, is he, de, he was dependent upon the churches to pray for him, to provide for him, and to encourage him. We need each other, my friends. We need each other. Look at the picture here. Hope to see in passing as I go to Spain to be helped on my journey there by you. Once I have enjoyed your company for a while. At present, however, notice his plans. I'm going to Jerusalem, bringing aid to the saints. For Macedonia and Achaia have been pleased to make some contribution for the poor among the saints at Jerusalem. Great sufferings there, my friends. And here is the church. Looking out for one another. Yeah, that's the church. Let God take care of them. We're over here. We got our own issues. No, no, no. That's the wrong attitude, my friends. The attitude is this what can we do? It's the right question to ask. What can we do about their circumstances? So he's talking about the churches in Macedonia and Achaia. In verse 27, for they were pleased to do it, and indeed they owe it to them, for the Gentiles have come to share in their spiritual blessings. They ought also to be of service to them in material things. And so here are churches that are sacrificing for one another. It is the picture of unity. And then verse 28, When therefore I have completed this and have delivered to them what has been collected, I will leave for Spain by way of you. And I know that when I come to you, I will come in the fullness and blessing of Christ. And here we see Paul in his ministry here, his future plans, his philosophy of ministry now, his dependence on God in every way. I appeal to you therefore, brothers, by the Lord, Jesus Christ and by the love of the spirit to strive together with me in your prayers to God on my behalf that I may be delivered from the unbelievers in Judea dependent upon the Lord for protection from opposition pray for me and that my service for Jerusalem may be acceptable to the saint and here he is dependent upon God for success in serving the saints. And finally, depending upon God for fellowship among the Roman believers. Look at here verse 32. So that by God's will I may come to you with joy and be refreshed in your company. Tell me that doesn't demand unity. Not to deal with all your gripings, but to be refreshed. Refreshed. May the God of peace be with you all. Amen. Well, Let's wrap it up here, my friends. This is the instruction from the word of God. It is this, to build up the family of God by putting others first. Looking out for one another, my friends. Looking out for one another. Putting up with differences. Well, he does it different than the last guy. Man, I wish I had a quarter for every time I've heard that. Church after church after church. Put up with their differences, my friend, and reach out to the lost with the gospel. Build up the church of God. Love, my friends, not only those who are in the church, but those who ought to be in the church, and maybe someday will be. Preach the gospel. Communicate the gospel. It looks like this. There's something I've been wanting to talk to you about, and I've been a little hesitant, but I want to tell you today, can you just hear me for a moment? and Lay it out there, my friends. Christ died for our sins. He rose from the dead. Trust in him, and he will forgive your sins. Adopt you into the family. Change your world. Father, help us. Help us to live out the truth of this... this this, your word here that you used Paul to record and Lord you've recorded it and preserved it that we would hear it here this morning oh spirit of God change our minds and our hearts about such things that we would begin to practice this in every way we can to put someone else first to look out for them to encourage and build up. Oh, for your great glory we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.